Welcome to Marksman, a program for men who have been marked by Christ and those who are aiming their lives at Christ-likeness. My name is Mark Spellman, and I'm welcoming you to the program today as your host, and glad that you're a part of the program. Most importantly, glad you're a part of the conversation. I hope that you will share this podcast with your friends, with your brothers, and you can feel free to share this with those who are not even followers of Christ, those who have maybe not really come to faith in Christ. And this conversation, like all of them on Marksman, can even be used to, to share your faith and just give men, your your friends at work, your friends in the neighborhood, uh, your your family members, give them a chance to find out what does it mean to follow Christ. They can listen to the program and I believe, quite honestly, just in an honest, real, raw conversation like we have, it can even be used to provoke and promote a person's faith in Christ that they would choose to become a Christ follower. So share this program. I would be honored if you would do that. And of course, make comments, give a review that always helps our podcast reach more men, more lives, which that's why I'm investing this time is to encourage, strengthen, and just be a a brother uh, to men out there. And so here we are picking up our study in Hebrews chapter 11. This is the great hall of fame of faith, not the hall of fame of basketball, football, or any other sport. No, this is God's Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Fame of faith. And we've been talking about different men. Now, these men, you say, well, how are these men marked by Christ? Well, Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. These men were clearly all marked by the anointing of God. The anointing of God was upon their life. The anointing of God was in their life. Not like you and I have it through the new birth and through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, God was with them. God was on them in a way in their time where the anointing was affecting them. And they were followers of God. They were followers of the way. And their lives, God is commending Their lives, God is holding up as an example, as a standard, as that which he would applaud. You know, this is really God praising these men. This is God uh, putting forth these men as an example that you and I can look at. And then we can look at our life and what we call faith in our life. And it gives us a chance to just kind of make some adjustments. And that's what this conversation is all about. We've already had a number of programs out of Hebrews 11. We've talked about Abel, and by default had to talk about Cain, Cain and Abel. We talked about Enoch. We've also talked recently, the last program, about Noah. And it was a great joy in that program to have both of my sons, Samuel and Daniel, in that program. And you'll you'll enjoy going back to those. Hopefully you'll take time to do that. And if you didn't get those programs, just find them on the podcast and give them a listen. But today, again, just standalone program, we're going to dig into the life of Abraham. And in Hebrews 11, if you go back to verse 8, let's just grab it there together today. If you don't have a Bible, then hey, just listen on. If you're driving, doing something at work, um, hey, you don't have to have a Bible to be a part of the conversation. But if you do have one, crack it open, get a notepad, maybe take some notes, something that gets highlighted to you. But let's pick it up in verse 8, looking at the life and the example of Abraham, whom God called the father 
of faith. So if you're a father out there, you're a dad out there, hey, this this can speak a lot to us, not to mention it speaks to all of us because as Christ followers, we can learn from our father of faith. And so Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would later receive as an inheritance. So the first thing we see is that faith obeys. Faith, we have talked about so many times, is not just faith like, like for instance, right now I'm sitting in a chair. And the reason I slid up and sat down in this chair is because I believed, I had faith that it would hold me up. I, I wouldn't have gotten the chair if I would have looked at it and saw the leg, you know, half cracked or something, you know, the back knocked off of it, well, I might not have sat in it. So certain information can produce beliefs, but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about faith in Hebrews 11. That's really not what we're talking about when we're talking about Bible faith. We're not talking about faith that's based on information, knowledge, facts, um, science, if you will, um, those certain there's a realm of faith there. But when we're talking about Bible faith, like Abraham, Noah, Abel, Enoch, and all the others we're going to get into in Hebrews 11, we're talking about relational faith. We're talking about faith in someone. Not, um, I love what uh, I think it's Second Timothy one twelve. Paul says these words. He was talking about all the the trouble that he faced, all the persecution that he faced. And he he basically said, but I'm not going to let any of this stuff move me. In fact, I'm not going to let it produce any shame in my life or regret in my life because I know in whom I have believed. Now, think about that. Paul went through some stuff. He went through a lot of opposition. He went through a lot of challenges. In fact, he he completely debunked that theory where people say, go where you're celebrated. <laughs> he didn't go where he was celebrated. Neither did, neither did Christ. Um, if you just try to go where you're celebrated, you're not going to go many places because people will eventually find a reason not to like you. Um, but anyway, he had lots to oppose him. He had lots to uh, come against him. He had lots of things challenging him. And he was not willing to let any of that produce regret in him. He was not willing to let any of that produce any shame in him or any doubt or fears in him. In fact, he said, 2 Timothy 1.12, for I know in whom I have believed. So the reason none of that affected him, the reason none, didn't mean he didn't feel it, didn't mean he didn't have thoughts about it, didn't mean it didn't impact him. But it just didn't change him. It didn't change what he was committed to. It didn't change how he lived his life and his perspective. And why did he not change? He said, because I know whom I have believed. That's different than saying, I know what I believe. I know what I believe is based upon some facts some circumstances. But knowing whom you believe is believing in the person of God and that when we believe God's word, the reason we believe God's word is because we're believing God who spoke those words. And so when we look at Hebrews 11 here and we're looking at Abraham by faith, verse eight, he obeyed. Why did he obey? Because he trusted God. 
His trust was in God. It was a relational faith. So as we begin today's conversation, that's the first thing that I I had in my spirit to highlight is that it's about relationship. It's not about information because you can you can know a lot of things about like let's just take another realm. Maybe you have a hobby. Maybe you have a uh, particular sport that's that's your sport. You know, basketball, football. I don't care, rugby, soccer, whatever it is, NASCAR, Formula One. My son, he uh, Dan, he loves drift cars. You know, whatever, whatever your thing is, you can learn lots of information. You can learn about maybe the men uh, or the individuals that are in the top of their field, the ones that are on the leaderboards and world rankings. You can you can know statistics. You can know all those things, but that does not mean. If you saw that person on the street, they would say, hey, Joe, how's it going? Hey, Bob, what's up? It doesn't mean that they're going to know you. It doesn't mean that you know them, even though you and I could know all about that person, what they've accomplished, what they've done. And that, unfortunately, many times is where people, their faith in God slowly drifts sometimes if it if it ever even started in a relational way it becomes more informational and they learn about him and it's good to learn about him but only if that is for the purpose to know him and so when abraham obeyed why did he do that because he knew god and he was trusting God. And so knowing him is what it's all about. I'm, I want to give you a testimony here. I just had the Holy Spirit nudge me on this. Um, and it's right along these lines. I remember one time I was believing God for some some things for our family. Um, and this particular thing was involving some finances to do some things to um, it was ministry related, but we were going to do it as a family. And so we were just believing God for some finances and, and it was beyond what we, you know, had the ability currently to do financially. And so it was going to take a, a significant increase financially to, to do this and to go. And so I was just out on the front porch of my home, just, uh, early in the morning, sun was popping up and I was, and I love, I love praying outside and, uh, so I just, a lot of times I'll just go outside to pray and have conversation with God. And I was just having my conversation and I was just talking to the Lord. And I just said, Lord, you know, I talked to him about everything I was believing. And I said, listen, here's where it's at. I trust you. And before I could even think it out of my spirit, these words came out. I said, you know what? I trust us. I trust what we have. I trust our relationship. And that was that from that point on, that has been a continual um, way that I see myself when I pray that it's not just me talking to him. It's not just me talking at him. It's me talking with him. And so when I said, Father, regarding this matter, I trust you. I trust your promise. I trust that you showed me to do it, that our our family were to do this, were to go there. I trust you in this. But then my spirit, I went just a little bit further and I said these words, I trust us. I trust our relationship. I trust our covenant together. I trust that you've invested so much into me and my faith is sincere and my faith is simple and I trust 
us. And so I don't know if that helps you like it helped me, but that has marked my life and it has forever uh, enhanced my prayer life and my communication with God and my relationship with him, knowing that it's not just me trusting him as a person, him as my father, him as my creator, him as my redeemer, him as my deliverer. No, I bring it all the way full circle into I trust us. I trust that I'm with you in this, and you're with me in this. I'm with you in this, and you're with me in this. This is a, this is a reciprocating. This is a relationship. This is a flow. And when I say I trust you, it's ultimately because I trust us and what we have. So anyway, I had that in my spirit also just to share with you. Hopefully that encourages you. And that can become a part of your conversation. Hopefully it'll maybe enhance a perspective for you. It's made radical changes in my life. So Abraham obeyed, verse 8. And it says he obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not even knowing where he was going. He was just pointed in a direction. He didn't even know his destination. He just had direction. And sometimes we have to realize it's called a walk of faith. That means it's it's steps that we take. You know, if you go out at night, I heard it explained to me one time like this. If you go out at night and you're going to drive from one city to another city, you know, we used to live in uh, in Kansas City and say we were going to take a trip to Topeka and we're going to leave after sundown. Well, I don't have to have enough light to shine all the way to Topeka my destination. No, I just have to know when I leave Olathe, I have enough light on my path, enough light on the road that I can just keep rolling, that I can just keep moving. And so that's what this is talking about. Sometimes we don't know the ultimate destination when God gives us a direction, when God gives us a direction as men in our marriages or as men, as fathers, or just as men, sons of God. We sometimes don't always know the ultimate destination. We just have direction. And so we got to be willing to trust the relationship, trust the direction, even if we don't know the ultimate destination. So by faith, then he dwelt. This is verse nine. By faith, he dwelt in a land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Now, Obviously, this is <laughs> this is a real high-level snapshot, but there's a lot of history. You go back to the book of Genesis, a lot of history just to even get Isaac. And then, of course, for Isaac to have Jacob, this is a very concise scripture, but it's letting us know that Abraham did have his son. And, of course, if you know the story, Abraham was nearly 100 years old when God appeared to him and said, I want to give you a son and his wife, whom when she was young and could have had children, according to her age, she was barren. So they had no children. And even when she could have had children, they had no children. And now he's about 90 years old and God speaks to him and says, I want you to leave this country. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you an inheritance. And of course, it's a, it's a miraculous story. I'm not necessarily going to unpack that part of the, the story today. But it's an amazing thing. But here we see he had his sons, both Isaac and Jacob, dwelling with him in tents as they followed 
God. And not only did Abraham follow God, but he lived his life in such a way that his faith came into Isaac. Now, Isaac had to have his own faith, but he had his father Abraham to model it, to live it. And then, of course, it got into Abraham's grandson, Jacob. And Jacob had faith because of what he lived with his father and his grandfather. But ultimately, yes, Jacob had to have his own faith. And Jacob, of course, one day found himself wrestling with God. And God actually prevailed in that wrestling match, as God always does. And if you read the story, that is where God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And he was then called a prince with God. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, three generations. I want you to I do want you to go back to Genesis 18. This is worth noting, Genesis 18, because it relates to the verse we just read, Genesis 18 and verse 19. One time I asked the Lord, why did you choose Abraham? You know, he could have picked any man. I mean, why Abraham? Why? Or, of course, he was Abram at that time. And then through covenant, God uh, put his part of his name in Abram's name, and it became Abraham. So God put his breath, his name, onto Abram's in covenant and changed his name. And, of course, that made him the father of many nations. But when he when he was picking someone, I just asked the question, why did you pick Abram or Abraham. And it was probably a couple months later. I mean, I asked the question. I didn't get an immediate answer, but I knew that God will answer my questions, you know, and that's good to know. God will answer questions. We may not always get them when we want them, and we may not always like the answer we get, but God will answer. (laughs) So I asked him, why'd you choose Abraham? And it was a couple months later. I was just reading, studying something completely different. And I came across um, this passage in Genesis 18, verse 19. And it says, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice and that the Lord may then bring upon Abraham what he had spoken to him. Now, look at that verse. I have known him. Now, we know that Abraham knew God, but it's in this verse it says God knew Abraham. And what did he know about Abraham? And why did he know him? So that he would then command, and don't just think of the word command like boss. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. Just do what I say. Yeah, there is a level of authority, and and command has its place, but what he was really ultimately driving at is he knew that Abraham would be an example to his children. He would live it in front of them, because, you know, a lot of times we... Um, we we want our children to to do what we tell them, but I know that sometimes I got to make sure I'm doing what I tell them. You know what I'm saying? And so Abraham was going to be the one commanding his home, and the first way we command our homes is by leading, by example in our home, and, and that's what he gave his son Isaac. That's what 
by lineage, he gave his grandson, Jacob. He gave them the example of faith. And obviously, they had lots of conversations. You could not have had the faith that was in Abraham get into his son Isaac and get into his grandson Jacob if there were not conversations. Now, surely they saw what he did. They watched him live his life. They perhaps heard him pray. They saw the the integrity that he lived lived in. Remember, part of the command was that he would do righteousness, do right by people. I mean, he would do righteousness and he would do justice. I remember my own dad. Um, my dad taught me this as a young, young man. He said, Mark, keep your word. He said, you're no better than your word. And that was a lesson he taught me all through my life. I, um, My dad went home to be with the Lord in 1995. But for all the years that I had him, he lived a life of integrity. It didn't matter what it was going to cost him. He kept his word. And he instilled that into me and my three brothers. He said, listen, keep your word. Your word is your bond. And he said, you're no better than your word. And so that's what we're talking about here. Abraham had to do righteousness, righteously. He had to do right by people. He had to do what is just and fair. And he says that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he is. So in other words, Abraham couldn't just live any old way and just claim, well, I got a promise from God. I got a promise from God and then just live any old way. No, the promise from God's going to affect my behavior. The promise I get from God is going to affect how I treat people. It's going to affect how I treat my wife. It's going to affect how I treat my children. It's going to affect how I handle my money. It's going to affect the the things that I buy, the places I go, the decisions and choices I make, the time, where I spend it. Those things are all going to be affected by my faith and the promise that I receive. So Abraham, it says about him in Genesis 18, 19, I have known him in order that he would command or lead his household, that they would keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness, justice, so that the Lord could bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken. So I wanted you to see that. Now let's go back to Hebrews 11, right where we were. And let's pick it back up. We were in verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise in the foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, living his life. They were all heirs of the same promise. And he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, here's something um, pretty interesting. I don't know how, you know, it, it says this about Abraham, and I don't know how he had faith for this. I don't know how this language came to be. I wasn't there. I wasn't there when God spoke this to him or showed this to him. I don't know how this got communicated to Abraham, but this is what we read. He waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, if you'll go with me to the book of Revelation, please, (laughs) just want to throw this out for uh, possibility here. Revelation uh, chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 10 you know, I, I can't necessarily prove the connection, um, but it just seems pretty obvious. 
He's waiting for a city whose builder is God, whose foundations are established by God. He's waiting for a city. Now look at this in Revelation 21.10. This is John, and he gets carried away in the Spirit. Verse 10, he says, I was carried away in the Spirit, Revelation 21.10, to a great and a high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God, and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and names were written on the gates, which were the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, Jacob, Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now, back to Hebrews. I just wanted you to see that. Back to Hebrews 11, I think it was verse 9 we were in. It says that he was, verse 10, he was waiting for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, again, I can't prove that that was the city he saw, that that was the city he was looking for, waiting on. But here's the thing. God does connect that city to him. Because on those gates were 12 names, and those 12 names were the 12 tribes of Israel. So this would be Abraham's great-grandchildren. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And it's those 12 sons, those tribe leaders those tribal heads, it's their names on that holy city coming down in Revelation 21.10. And so, again, I don't know how and what was in Abraham's heart, why it says about him that he was waiting for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. But that's what your Bible, my Bible says. And I can also see in Revelation 21.10, there's a city coming down with Abraham's great-grandchildren on the gates. And here's something so cool, is that if you look at the lives of those men, those 12 sons of Israel, you can read about it basically Genesis 25 through 50, those chapters. There's lots of drama. There's lots of (laughs) ups and downs. And I'm so thankful that we don't just have a Facebook Bible, like a, a highlight reel of just the good things that happen in the family of God. Now, you read those chapters, those 25, 30 chapters, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Not everything that happens is God's will. Yet, God's will gets accomplished ultimately in the life of Isaac, in the life of Jacob, and in the life of Jacob's 12 sons. And of course, Joseph is a big part of why that happens, because remember, they all would have perished in the famine had not Joseph, once he was sold into slavery, rose up under Pharaoh to lead and protect the nation of Egypt, and all his brothers and his father came to be preserved. And God even uh, revealed it to Joseph when he could have been bitter over his brothers sending him to the pit, throwing his life away, cursing his dreams, 
hating him, despising him, being jealous of him. He could have let that get in him. But no, at the, at, towards the end of his life, when those 12, those 11 brothers came to Egypt and he was out of the prison, he was serving under Pharaoh because of the dream and what was fulfilled. You don't have time to unpack that right now. But when Joseph was there, he said, no, you didn't send me here. You didn't send me to the pit. You didn't throw my life away. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity. Now, that's what Joseph said. That was the revelation in his heart. That was the guiding light in his heart. He said, no, you did this to me, but here's what God was doing. God was using what you did against me to send me ahead to preserve a posterity. And it's Joseph and his 11 brothers that are on that heavenly city in Revelation 21.10. And so, again, I can't help but believe, verse 10 of Hebrews 11, he was waiting for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then, of course, verse 11 and 12 talks about the faith of Sarah, his wife, because how many know Abraham's not going to have a child without a wife? And Sarah herself had to get in faith and agree and believe with her husband, Abraham, And verse 12 says, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, because he was old, uh, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. So let's jump down now to verse 17. Because if you remember, God gave that promise to Abraham while he was at that point without child. You read Genesis 12, Genesis 15. Those two chapters, Abraham receives a promise from God that he's going to have a child. And he's not just going to have a child. He's going to have so many children. God showed him in the night sky. He said, look up, Abraham. If you can count those stars, you can count your offspring. And he said, look at the shore, the sea shore. Look at the sand. If you can count the grains of sand, you can count your offspring. And God made that promise to Abraham while he was without any child, while he was old as a man and his wife old with him. And even when she was young, she was barren. That's when God chose to speak the promise. So when we talk about Abraham trusting God, that should inspire us as men that we can trust God. And when God speaks a promise to us, it's not because everything in our life says we're the likely candidate. Of course, God would pick us. I mean, when God chose David to be king, we'll get to him later. But when God chose David to be king, if you read that story, <laughs> Abraham wasn't even one of the sons his dad put forward. When Samuel the prophet came to anoint the next king of Israel, because he said, go to the house of Jesse, the next king is is one of his sons. I mean, Jesse didn't even bring David forward. He brought all his other sons that he surely thought would be the one. And as Samuel the prophet considered each one, the Lord did not approve of one of them. And yet he knew someone in his house was going to be anointed. He says, do you have any other sons? He said, well, yeah, my youngest, David, he's out tending the sheep. And so they brought David 
And that was, of course, who God chose. That was who God anointed. And he said this, God does not look on the outward appearance of man. He looks on the heart. God knows God knows who you are on the inside. He knows who I am on the inside. And he made choice not based upon outward appearance, outward qualifications. The you know, God loves to choose the unlikely candidates because it's it truly gives him glory when he takes a life, a person, an individual who doesn't have much according to world um standards, worldly measurements got the goods because God says, no, if I just have your heart, I'll give you the goods. If I just have your heart, I'll make of you a great nation. If I just have your heart, I'll make of you a great king. And that's what he did. He knew Abraham. He would have his heart so he could make of him a great nation. He knew David. David was a man after God's own heart and he made of him a great king. In fact, Jesus is called the son of David. How much more could David have been honored as a king that the Messiah, Yeshua, would be called the son of David? And yet David wasn't a likely candidate. Abraham was was not a likely candidate. The Bible is full of examples. Gideon was not a likely candidate. So again, whatever excuses any of us could come up with, it's time to throw those excuses away. God wants to do amazing things in all of our lives. And in fact, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 17 goes on to say, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom he had received the promise, and offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, In Isaac shall your seed be called, concluding that God was able to raise him from the dead, even as he received him, in a figurative sense. Now, this story is back in Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, this is all spelled out in detail. Isaac is now a young man, anywhere from 17 to 25. And not only was he miraculously conceived and brought forth, he was the child of promise. And now as God is walking with Abraham and Abraham is walking with God, Isaac, his son, is following in the footsteps of the faith of his father, Abraham. And now God gives an instruction. Remember, we saw the very first verse, Hebrews eleven eight. by faith he obeyed. And now in Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews eleven seventeen, by faith when he was tested, he obeyed, we could say, and he offered up Isaac. So the instruction was, take your son, your only son, as far as this, you know, son of promise, take your only son and go into this mountainous region. And I want you to offer your son there as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering, not just an offering, a burnt offering. He's going to go. He's asking to take his son to kill his son and then to offer him as a burnt offering. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. This was God's instruction to Abraham. Now, that doesn't make sense because God has also said to Abraham, remember those stars? Remember the sand? You're going to have so many children that if you could count the stars, you can count your children. If you can count the sand, you could count your children. And now God's asking him to kill his son, his only son. So how can he have all those children when the only son he's got, he's going to kill and not just kill it's going to be a burnt offering. 
<laughs> See, this in the economy of God, and, and the reason this is so profound, and we don't have time to unpack all this, but this is covenant. This is covenant. The, the, this, is, this has got covenant connections. The reason God was asking this of Abraham was because eventually he was going to do what he was asking Abraham to do. And so what Abraham did is he said, okay, if you're going to ask me to kill my son, and if you're going to ask me to offer him as a burnt offering, let's not forget what Genesis, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11, 18 says, 11, 18, of whom it is said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. So Abraham held on to the promise. He said, okay, this is my instruction. Go kill him. Go offer him as an offering, as a burnt offering. But I'm remembering, God, your promise to me that in him, in this son that you're asking me to kill and offer as a burnt offering, in him shall my seed be called. And so verse 19 says, here's what Abraham concluded. This is what his faith said. This is what his trust. Remember, he's trusting the relationship. Remember how God spoke to me that day on the porch? I said, God, I trust you. God, I trust us. See, that's what's happening with Abraham right now. He's not only, he's not just trusting God. He's trusting in the relationship. And it says, verse 19, he concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead and so from which he actually received him in a figurative sense. So in other words, Abraham had faith for a resurrection. Let that sink in. There, there had been no resurrections. He had not seen anything or even heard of any stories. He had no testimonies to inspire his faith. He just knew this is my son of promise. And if the God who gave me the son asks for the son, then he's just going to have to, to fulfill his promise. He's going to have to raise him from the dead. He's actually going to have to raise him from the ashes. Now that is some radical faith. And I hope this conversation is inspiring you men like it's inspiring me that I want to have that radical trust in my God. Whatever instruction he gives, whatever direction he gives to me and my wife, me and my family, that we would have the trust that if he gave the command, then he's able to bring it to pass. This is why God is upholding Abraham, calling him even the father of our faith, because he concluded his faith in the relationship, his trust in the relationship concluded, if the God who gave me the son asks for the son, then the God who gave me the son is going to have to raise the son from the dead, even from the ashes. And so he had that all settled in his head, in his heart, in his thinking, so that when he went up, you can read all about it in Genesis 22. It's, it's phenomenal. But notice this. Isaac also had to believe. I want you to think about that. Isaac also had to believe. Because this was not a little three-year-old getting laid up on the altar of whom, you know, Abraham could have just, you know, bundled him up, tied him up, set him there, and just made him do it. No. Isaac had to believe. He had to trust. 
he had to trust in the God of his father. He had to trust because see, Isaac wasn't given the vision. Isaac wasn't given the instruction. He's literally trusting his father. Think about that. Isaac is literally trusting his father's relationship with God. He's trusting his father's instructions. And I don't know what conversation they had, but it's so interesting. You read about it in Genesis 22, you know, they're walking and, and he tells Sarah, he says, we're going to leave. We're going to go to this mountain. And he takes a group of men with him, but they finally come to the place where he knows this is the spot. And so he tells the people traveling with him, he says, you stay here. He says, me and the lad, talking about Isaac, me and the lad, we're going to go yonder and worship, and then we will come back to you. That's what he said. Now, he knows the instruction. He's going to kill his son. He's going to offer him as a burnt offering, and his faith in God is so clear, so steady, that he says, we're going to go obey the instruction. And that's what he, he actually used the word worship. We're going to go yonder and worship. And then we will return. We're going to go yonder and worship. Then we are going to return. That was his faith talking. That was his trust in the relationship talking. And so along the way, now it's just him and Isaac walking. And they got wood. And they got a torch for fire. And Isaac says, uh, hey, dad. I'm, and he was literally carrying the wood on his back. Now, is that not prophetic? He's literally, Isaac is carrying the wood on his back. And I mean, clearly you can see this is like Jesus and God. I mean, this is ultimately fulfilled on Calvary when the son of God carries wood on his back and literally does what this is about ready to, to uh, type and shadow and, and show us. Isaac's carrying the wood and he says, father, daddy, here's the wood. There's the fire. Where's the offering? Well, Abraham says, well, God will provide because, <laughs> you know, we've all heard the song Jehovah Jireh. Well, this is where God was named Jehovah Jireh. This is where God was revealed to man as God who sees ahead, God who provides. And it wasn't a money thing at that point. <laughs> so just saying and it, God does provide, but don't let provision always be about money. Provision is about vision. God wants you to see what he wants to show you, because if you can see it, then you can trust him to provide for it. And God told Abraham and Abraham told Isaac, God will provide. And so we don't know the rest of the conversation, but we do know this, that when it came time for Abraham to take the knife and to kill his son, his son was on the altar. Now, there's no way a young, let's just say 22 or 23, 25, whatever year old young man, is in other words, if his dad at this point is is ninety nine, you know, actually older than that, um, there's just no way that his dad could make him, force him, overpower him. No, if Isaac didn't want to do it, and if he was not in agreement, there's no way Genesis twenty two would have been happening. There's no way Abraham could have obeyed without the agreement of his son. Do you see that? Abraham obeyed initially, but now what we see all these years later, Genesis 22, his obedience is requiring the agreement of his son. And so Abraham, and through the agreement of his son Isaac, they are offering 
his son Isaac on the altar. He raises a knife to kill him. You know the story. An angel appears, calls out to Abraham and says, Abraham. He stops him and says, now I know that you trust me. Now I know that you fear me and honor me. And he said, and look over there, there was a ram caught in the thicket. And so he said, don't do any harm to your son. Just, you know, you pass the test because that's what we read here. Hebrews eleven seventeen. when by faith, when he was tested, he passed the test. He was willing to do it. He was willing to go through with it. He was actively doing it when God called him off and said, no, don't do it. There's a ram. Offer that ram instead. And now, thousands of years later, God went through with it. And he offered his son, Jesus Christ. And just like Jesus agreed with his father, wrestled in the garden of Gethsemane, and said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I'm sure Isaac had to come to that same conclusion saying, Father Abraham, if there's any other way we can do this, I'd, I'd really rather go another way. But if, if there's not, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's a perfect prophetic picture of what Jesus' life was as he worked with his father and ultimately offered himself, and it's, and it's no coincidence, Jerusalem, Golgotha, Calvary, is nestled right in the mountainous region of Moriah, where this great test took place. And so in closing today, I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I'm enjoying my, I'm getting, (laughs) I'm getting encouraged, hopefully as much as you are. Um, This, this conversation, this discussion is stirring my faith. It's stirring my trust. It's, it's lighting a fire in my own belly um, where these matters are concerned. And so there's a lot we can learn from our father, Abraham. And so here, let's finish up. Let's wrap up today in Romans 4.16. And I'm going to read this in the Amplified, Romans 4.16 in the Amplified. And this is our application for us here today. Therefore, inheriting the promise. This is Romans 4.16, talking about Abraham, Paul, you know, by revelation, explaining some things to us. Romans 4.16, Amplified Version says, Therefore, Inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. It depends entirely upon faith in order that it may be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor. Inheriting the promise, when God gives you and I a promise, we're going to receive it as an inheritance. We don't receive it through wages. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. Now, faith will have works, but you're not working for it. There's a difference. And that's what I want to leave you with here today for your meditation, your conversation. Inheriting a promise is the outcome of faith, of trust. It depends entirely on faith, trust. Why? In order that it might be given as an act of grace. This makes it stable. I'm reading on. Hebrews 4, I'm sorry, Romans 4, 16, Amplified, to make it stable, valid, and guaranteed. How many like those words? Stable, valid, guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to those who devote and adhere to the law, but those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. I trust that you share the faith of Abraham. I trust that you see your faith in Christ 
trusting what Christ did to save your soul, trusting what Christ did to redeem your life, trusting what Christ did when he offered himself a sacrifice, redeeming our value, redeeming our identity, redeeming our purpose. I trust that your faith in Christ is sharing in the faith of Abraham. Because when it's that kind of faith, that relational faith, that trusting faith, it makes the promise stable, valid, and guaranteed. I want those words to be stamped on your spirit today, that when God gives you a word, when God gives you a promise, it's going to depend on your relationship with him, your trust in him, because he's going to fulfill it by his grace. He's going to fulfill it by his grace. And that exchange, that relational exchange of faith and grace, faith and grace, that makes it stable, valid, and guaranteed. So whatever prophetic word you've had, whatever promise lifts off the pages of the Bible when you study, and God speaks it to you, and God highlights it in your heart, know that if you just trust him, and trust in your relationship with him and his relationship with you, knowing that you don't have to earn it. We could never earn it. And know that many times the promise he gives is way beyond anything we could do on our own. It's going to require his grace. And that's what makes it stable, valid, and guaranteed. Let me pray for you before we wrap up today's program. Father, I thank you for my brothers in Christ. And I thank you for this great example in Scripture, this man, Abraham, and his sons and his sons' sons. Thank you for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thank you for the 12 sons of Jacob. Thank you for the testimony of this family, these men that followed the Anointed One, that followed God Almighty in their generation. And you held them up in Hebrews 11 as an example of ones who trusted you. And may we trust you like they trusted you. May our faith be as sincere and as simple and as clear that no matter what instruction you give us, no matter what direction you give us, we don't try to fulfill it on our own. We don't try to make it happen. We don't try to put our own effort on it. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by your Spirit, O God. And that our faith joined with your grace, makes every promise to us stable, guaranteed, and valid. And so I just thank you for that. I join in agreement with my brothers in Christ today in Jesus' mighty name. Well, I pray that you've enjoyed the program today. I'm glad that you joined the conversation. Again, I'm going to make this appeal to you, please share this podcast with your friends, with your buddies, with your guy friends. And again, even if they're not a follower of Christ, they don't have faith in Christ, share it to them. Say, hey, take this hour, listen to this program. This is what faith is all about. It's about a relationship. It's not religion. And I don't mean that just to be that phrase gets overworked sometimes because there is good and undefiled religion. James talks about it you know, help the fatherless and and help the widows. I'm not just trying to slam religion. I'm just saying it's all about relationship. It's all about trusting God 
He can be trusted. So please share this program with your friends and uh, like the program, make a review on on whatever platform you listen. It helps more people, uh, you know, get them uh, get access to it. So I'm going to encourage you and appeal to you to please do that. And if you haven't checked out our website lately, SpellmanMinistries.org. Spellman, S-P-E-L-L-M-A-N, ministries, plural, at, or dot org. That's our website. More information there about what family mission is all about. There's the mission objectives, seven mission objectives to family mission there. If you want to check that out or if you want to get on an email list, get a, a weekly devotional coming to your inbox to also stir and provoke conversation, you can get that every Monday in your inbox. Just give us your email. You can do that on the website. Just sign up for the newsletter and we'll have your email and we'll get those devotionals coming to you. Also, if you would want to financially be a part of of, of underwriting this program and making sure this program keeps going out. Um, you can do that also. Just sign up there on the website. Uh, there's ways that you can give and support there. Anyway, we love you. We're praying for you. And we just want you to know, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.